This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Chris Adams-Wall. And welcome into our latest show, This Week in Rays Baseball. Chris Adams Wall. And uh, speaking of legends of the fall, joined now by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And Topper, the postseason is over. It came and went in the blink of an eye. The Texas Rangers are the World Series champs. They beat the Arizona Diamondbacks four games to one. We know that the Rays started their playoff run against the Rangers. It was a quick exit. They lost in two games. But with Texas winning the World Series, do you think that that softens the blow at all? Because, hey, for Rays fans, we lost to the champs, right? You got, if you're gonna, yeah, you got to be the best. You got to beat the best. There's somehow it ties in with that, right? So, I, I guess there is a little solace in that. Um, I think you know, kind of the vibe was that the Rays at that last weekend, looking at the possible teams. It seemed like the Rangers were the best matchup for them. I mean, I had written as much about a week or two earlier saying they probably wouldn't get to face the Rangers. We thought they were going to win the West. They collapsed there at the end. And, look, I, I mean, I watched pretty much the whole postseason and, and heard the story. It seemed like you know, every new set of broadcasters, oh, they lost that last game in Seattle. They had that long flight to Tampa. It could have wiped them out, but they kind of found this new energy on that flight and decided they didn't want their season to go that way. And look, they got a couple breaks. The Rays didn't pitch well. That was the one thing the Rays were banking on in those two games. I mean, they did not get what they hoped for out of Glass now. They did not get what they hoped for out of Eflin. And that gave the Rangers a chance to kind of regroup. I mean, the Rangers probably do owe the Rays a bit of thanks just in that they were able to kind of get, you know, regrounded here and put that lineup back together and we saw how potent that lineup is and what they didn't lose a game on the road all postseason, right? 11 and O the bullpen was supposed to be their big danger zone. First team that ever made the playoffs with a bullpen that blew more saves than they recorded kind of didn't really hurt them. The one or two little hiccups that they had, they overcame and you know, it was a very impressive showing and you saw the potency of that offense and uh, you saw why they were one of the better teams for most of the year. It just happened that they had, as you said during that lavish pre-production meeting we just finished, you know they had their used a really cool word and they dear very good, very well used. Uh, they stunk at the right time. They got better against the Rays. They just got on a freaking roll. They knocked out Baltimore. They knocked out Houston, and they ended Cinderella's tale by beating uh, Arizona. And the Rays only had a three-game series against them. They only lost two games to Texas. I mean, Baltimore lost all three. Right in some ways. That might be worse. Do you think that there are any lessons that the Rays can take from a team like the Texas Rangers, though, going into 2024, besides maybe blasting Creed uh, at the end of every ball game? Pick a theme song, right? Last year it was, what, Dancing With Myself for the Phillies? And I think that's one of your favorite songs anyway, from what I've heard. And um, Yeah, I mean, outside of picking a funny theme song and, and getting your team together, I, I, I think, you know, the Rays – 
And I think Eric Neander was very candid. He didn't have good answers, but I think he was very candid and not having good answers when asked at the postseason press conference. I think that was the one you skipped where, you know, how does this happen? How do you get knocked out in you know the, your first round three years in a row when you're so good during the regular season? And he said they're searching for that answer. And I, I believe him. They are trying to figure that out. Other teams are saying the same thing. The Dodgers are saying that. The Braves are saying that this year. You know, they maybe had the issue with a layoff that's been brought up. But you had three really good teams that all got knocked out in the first round there, right? And that seemed odd. And, I, you know, I don't know if there's lessons, the way you put it. But I do think what you saw, and maybe more so last year, the Phillies were kind of the subject of this this year with the Rangers. You need star players sometimes in October to win. And, you know, the Rays get where they get with depth with having incredible, you know, amount of talent on their system, that next man up to withstand all the injuries they withstood this year, especially to the pitching staff. And that was good enough to win 99 games the AL East. That's an accomplishment. But when you're facing the best, do you, you know, and this isn't like earth-breaking. You've heard this narrative. I've heard this narrative before too, but it seemed illustrative the past couple of years. It worked for the Phillies. It worked for the Rangers. You got a Corey Seager. You got a Marcus Simeon. You got Nate Evaldi. You got some big game players that excelled in the big games on the big stage when they were facing really good competition. And, and maybe that's what you take out of this. And I don't know that that makes the Rays fans feel any better because they're not typically a team that goes big game hunting. You know, they've had a few stars. Charlie Morton obviously was one. Eflin may end up being a star. They did chase Freddie Freeman a couple of years ago, didn't get him. But that's what I would take out of this, Chris, is it seems like stars are what you need to win at this level in October. Well, the good news for the Rays is free agency is here. So maybe they will be getting some of these star players. And they already have a few star players on their roster now. One of the guys who was responsible for bringing some of those players in was general manager Peter Bendix, who was a guest on this program, the most recent episode that we had. And now Peter Bendix has moved on to South Beach. He is the new president of baseball operations for the Miami Marlins. Obviously, amazing news for him. Peter Bendix has been a part of the Rays organization for 15 years, and now he is taking the reins for the fish. What do you make of the move, Topper? And what are the Rays going to do to replace him? I'm just stuck right now in the image of Pete Bendix cruising down South Beach, like in his convertible and his mankini or whatever. He just got me so distracted right now by putting that out there. Um, look, good for Pete. Uh, pretty quick ascension. You know, he's he's a guy who has been with the race since 09. He started as an intern. Uh, so there's hope for Alex and Parker. And, and you know, he, he worked his way up. And he was a guy that, you know, was kind of branded a stats guy, that kind of background. He came from Tufts. Uh, he did a lot of writing and baseball data and some of the baseball blogs and stuff. So, you know, yay writers and power to the media and the, the written word here. But uh, he worked his way. He got to this point. He got promoted to general manager a couple of years ago when the Rays went to the split structure. They used to just have one person in charge. They promoted a Neander to president of baseball ops, which a lot of teams have done. And then they under they kind of fill below that with a GM person. So even though you're GM, you're not totally in charge. Uh, Pete Bendix was that for a couple of years, did have a lot of responsibility with the day-to-day -day operations of the Rays. Uh, but now he got a chance to be you know, his own boss. He got a chance to be the number one guy. Interesting situation. Kim Eng did a really good job there. 
Uh, and she left saying she didn't like the structure because they wanted to bring someone in over her. She was the GM. Uh, so Pete obviously now will be the main person there. I assume he'll hire a GM under him. But uh, he's you know, with an in-state rival. I mean, the whole Citrus Series now, does it get spicier? You know, Neander versus Bendix, the brain wars when these teams meet. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you have to applaud Pete for getting himself into that position. He's only 38 years old, I think, right now. And, uh, you know, for 15 years to go from intern, I think he said his first job was like picking players up at the airport or something like that. <laughs> and now he's going to be the guy that they're going to be getting a town car for to take him, you know, around the stadium. So pretty impressive for Pete. How do the Rays replace him? I, I don't know. I think you can, one thing you can bank on is it'll be internal. They've got a pretty strong track record. Um, of whenever people leave, you know, at that top level to replace them internally. They're very proud of the group of employees that they have, the culture that they have. They feel like they hire well. And, you know, Neander started as an intern. Bloom started pretty low. Um, we just mentioned that Bendix started as an intern. So, you know, the, in all seriousness, the care that they obviously put into hiring interns, you don't just hire someone whose resume looks like it's on cool paper or your friend's brother's nephew's kid or something. I mean, they obviously put a lot of thought into who they hire and they, they raise and, and teach and educate these, these men and women to, you know, ascend the positions of authority. And we've seen it a number of times now. So I don't know if they'll have a GM immediately. I know talking to Eric Neander on the phone on Monday night, he was in Phoenix already. This all happened right on the, the doorstep of the GM meetings too. So uh, you really wonder how that worked as far as what, what, at what point did they cut Pete out of the planning meeting, right? Was it Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday? Um, you know, Pete, your, your, your key card doesn't work anymore. Your computer's not letting you sign on, buddy. Sorry. Uh, so I think what Eric kind of left the impression that I got was they were going to kind of get through the meetings and then, you know, start discussing, you know, who, how do they restructure? Do they need to restructure? But I think he made it pretty clear that whatever moves they make, they will handle this internally. And look, there's a couple or three assistant GMs. There's some other people that have risen in the ranks. You got John Daniels sitting there, a freaking giant, you know, pot of knowledge from his time running the Rangers as a special advisor. Uh, you know, you got Kevin Eibach is ascended on the player personnel side. So I think you got a bunch of options there, uh, or maybe just a bunch of really smart people that they draw from all of their knowledge and, and Eric Neander stays in charge. I think that's still all to be decided. I, I don't think you're getting the job though. Sorry if I'm the first one to tell you. That. Oh man. You had to break the news to me on this episode. All right. Tom. I, I just got a text. Neander said, I heard you're talking to wall. Can you tell him? Man. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on. Speaking of moves being made, the Rays had a little reshuffling of the 40 man roster. Now it's not done yet. This is just the, <laughs> beginning stage topper but a ton of moves happened on monday november 6th what do we need to know about them yeah it was interesting i kind of heard heard over the weekend they put uh, six guys on outright waivers which is pretty much saying goodbye to them i mean a guy could resign to a minor league deal but the idea was to get them off the 40 man i think the ones that jumped out to me the three bigger names all guys that at times played key roles i mean to some degree Christian Bethencourt, who was the primary catcher this past season, he made 89 starts. He came over in July of 22 and, and really made a big impact when they needed some catching help. Uh, Jalen Beeks, who has been around since uh, 2018, acquired in trade for 
Native Aldi, there were some circumstances to that. I know I got a few emails from people like, you got to be kidding me. How could the Rays trade Jalen Beeks for Native Aldi? And there were some circumstances with Evaldi's contract situation and his health. So it's not, wasn't a one-off, one you know, two guys in prime career situation. Uh, and then Josh Fleming, who, you know, a little bit of a magnet for fans who don't like uh, some of the games he's pitched, but a guy who, you know, he carried them a little bit the first part of this past season. He took a regular turn in the rotation for April and May, whether opener, you know, behind an opener or starting. Uh, pitched some beginnings for them, but it never really clicked over an extended period of time. Had some health issues this year. So those were the three guys that jumped out to me uh, that they got rid of. But they had reasons, as you said. They had to restore uh, all you. There's no 60-day injured list during the offseason. So there were seven players on the 60-day they had to bring back. Uh, most of those guys fit into the plans for this year. There were a couple where, you know, maybe they could have just reinstated and let them go or something and still could. Uh, such as Calvin Fauché, who's been an up-and-down guy. Greg Jones, a prospect who's never quite clicked a little bit. But for now, they had to reinstate them to the uh, 40-man roster. Wander Franco was reinstated in a procedural move, even though we don't know his playing status uh, and what you know his situation's going to be. So that roster fills up. There's only 40 spots. Uh, as Neander said, some people had to go. So they, they made some of those moves. They traded a couple guys that were on the rise. Uh, that you know could have been considered to be added to the roster. They added one, a reliever, Manny Rodriguez, that they got in trade from the Cubs. Last year at the trade deadline, he had a little uh, injury during the second part of the season when he was at Durham, so he didn't get called up. I think they would have looked at him otherwise. Uh, Michael Mercado, Blake Hunt, a catcher. Uh, just some guys that they didn't see going on to their 40-man, so they got something back for them at least. You know, the waivers, they got 50000 for each guy. That wasn't really a cost savings thing in that regard. I think with Betancourt specifically, they saw a chance to upgrade. They really like Rene Pinto. They want him to play. Uh, but, I, you know, again, Neander, you know, it's easy at this time of year to say you're open to anything, right? And he said, you know, their plan would be for Pinto to be the primary guy. But if something better comes along, and that could be tomorrow or it could be the last day of spring training, right? Somebody, a free agent that sits out there during the winter doesn't get signed or a team that had one guy and now suddenly has a prospect. They want to make room. So we've seen this change. At any point, you know, you don't you, you, the offseason doesn't end today. It starts you know, this week. Right. And you can go right up till spring training and make changes. And even once the season starts, of course. So but for now, they did not see uh, Bethencourt in their plans. They wanted to give Pinto the opportunity to give him the lane. So that was probably the biggest move that affected, you know, the core lineup, the core players that you're going to see for 2024. And so as of the time of this recording, the Rays have 39 players on the 40-man roster. But, Topper, we know that we have some other deadlines coming up, so hoping you can enlighten the listeners a little bit with uh, walking them through what those deadlines are going to be coming up here. In other words, explain it to you, right? That's what you mean. Uh, that's another way of saying it, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, they are 39 right now on Tuesday, November 14th, which is also known as my birthday, just – I know you're probably going to have a gift ready, so just in case you <laughs> forgot. Um, that's when they can add some prospects. So they've added a couple, right? Junior Caminero would have been a guy who had to be added. He's already on. Jacob Lopez is a guy who would have been added. He's already on. Two guys that they needed toward the end of last season. So they're already there. Like I mentioned, Hunt is now out of the mix. There's another catcher, Logan Driscoll. Maybe he'd be a possibility. Alex Jackson was a guy that they had at AAA. They got into trade at the end of last year. He could be a possibility to re-sign. So 
I think you'll see another catcher. Teams usually like to have at least two catchers on their 40-man roster at this point, just having Pinto. Uh, and then, you know, there's a couple other pitchers. There's a couple other infielders. The thing about the Rays, as you know, and, and you spend all your time in, in Montgomery, you, they have so much talent. And some of these guys, like last year, I didn't even know how to say a Slavis Basabe's name. Certainly couldn't spell it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think he was one of those guys. They got the Texas trade, but he wasn't the main guy. And then we saw when they had a moment of need this season in August, he comes up and the guy could play in the big leagues. I mean, he could hit, he could play defense, and, you know, maybe not as a, a, a star quality shortstop, which is the role he was asked to step in for, but he's a big league player. And I didn't even know, know where he had, like I said, the exact part of the trade, where he was. So you do see some of those guys come up. Uh, they've got some of those guys. So they'll probably be one or two added. And we won't recognize their names uh, at the time. Neil will. You, I, you and I may not, but Neil will. And then, you know, they'll end up in spring training and they'll end up getting a job on the team or they'll get traded for somebody else or something like that. It happens. They've got a really deep farm system. But there's a flip to this, too, is by next Friday, the 17th, that's the deadline to tender the guys that are eligible for arbitration. They still have 11 left. They had 16. Follow me here. Five of those guys were the guys that were put on waivers. Three got picked up. Two of the, of the three became free agents. So they're down to 11 now. 11, got it? So there you go. So that's not a totally crazy number, but there's a couple guys on there that you could see getting traded. Like Harold Ramirez, I, I think he's probably a guy that's going to get traded this offseason. Yeah, I think they're going to want to give Aranda more of an opportunity, Meade more of an opportunity. Uh, Brandon Lau, assuming he's healthy, whether it's at second base or he gets a little more DH spots. But I think opening up, a little bit of DH at bats there will get some of those bats in the lineup more. So if you're going to trade Harold Ramirez, if you know you're going to try to trade Harold Ramirez and you don't want to tender him because he's a $4.5 million player through arbitration, you might want to do that before the tender deadline. And if you're going to do it by next Friday, you might as well do it by next Tuesday, right? And then you have room to add that extra prospect. If you do it in the other order, you run the risk of a prospect getting taken in the Rule 5 draft. So We've seen them make a couple of trades on tender day. We've seen them make a couple of trades on the minor league uh, ad day, the prospect ad day. So I think you're going to see uh, another handful of moves here over the next week, week and a half. So well delineated, Topper. Wow, I feel enlightened. So thank you very much. There is one more order of business that we need to get to, though. Rays manager Kevin Cash is a finalist for AL Manager of the Year for the fifth time in six years. I know that we at the Rays are not surprised by this at all, but it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And I, I did a little math yesterday while I was waiting for some other stuff to happen. And um, he's the only American League manager to get votes six straight years now. He was sixth last year. Uh, and then, like you said, five other, well, four other previous, two-thirds, two-firsts and now either first, second, or third this year. So five out of six and a sixth-place finish. Uh, and only American League manager to get votes all six straight years. And then we saw that uh, Brian Snitker did in the, for the Braves, and Dave Roberts, who isn't a finalist this year, but if he gets some votes, which I imagine he will, he also would have done that. But that's pretty good company to be in, too. And Cash was the first AL manager to win back-to-back -back awards when he won in 20 and 21, joined Bobby Cox, the only two guys that have ever done it. Uh, so he's in pretty elite company, and and you're right. It was actually part of the theme on the MLB Network show yesterday. They were basically saying, as you did, they probably knew you were going to say it, and they stole it from you, that 
it's common for people who follow the Rays to realize how good Kevin Cash is. And like, oh, yeah, he got it again. But people nationally need to realize how good he is. And I think Sean Casey, who I, is, is friends with Cash, so there's a little bonding there, and they either played together or crossed paths a little bit. Uh, but he said in his mind, he, he put Cash number one right now, which that's pretty cool. They have a former player, and you know he actually was in uniform last year for the Yankees briefly. But to put him uh, as, in his mind, the top manager, I think Cash is definitely in that handful of discussion of top managers for most people around the game. And the other two finalists, of course, Brandon Hyde of the Baltimore Orioles and Bruce Bochy of the Texas Rangers. Mark Topkin, he needs no introduction whatsoever, but make sure you give him a follow on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now and keep up with the Tampa Bay Rays and all of the roster moves and everything going on with the Rays offseason. Topper, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I really enjoyed the pre-production meeting today. I got to say, I enjoyed it even more than this episode. Yeah, it was very impressive the way you had all that food delivered to my studio here, which is also known as the second bedroom in my house. But yeah, whatever. Do you ever have any shirts that you paid for, by the way, or do you always just wear the free shirts? I think it's. I think we've run out of time. I think it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, but well, well, yeah, I might answer that question for you offline. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, thanks so much for joining us, and we will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks for tuning in.